0: Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport you've come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and as always a little bit of entertainment. I hope you survived the festivities at the weekend. It was definitely a very different and in many cases a very unpredictable Christmas for lots of people. So I hope you were able to enjoy it and have some fun. I had a quiet few days, chilling with the family, enjoying some downtime, lots of cheesy TV and plenty of festive treats. I finally managed to get back in the sea on Christmas Day for a lovely splash. My sister, who wants to start getting back into the sea again, gave me a good talking to and told me to stop being so soft and just go do it. I lasted for about two minutes in the water. The early morning Bailey's coffee never tasted so good and we had lots of fun with the gang of dippers on the day. I managed to get in again on Sunday for a little longer. So now we just need to keep it up a bit more regularly. I can't see us dipping every day, but a few times a week. Sure, that'll be grand. With big plans for a bike race in early 2022, my training has already started. So whilst I've enjoyed plenty of rest and lots of treats the last few days, I'm enjoying getting some miles in on the bike, burning off the overindulgences of the past few days. I even managed a 45 minute session on the turbo on Christmas day. Smug much? Yes, for sure. Monday afternoon, I took an ocean to try and do two and a half hours on the turbo. I haven't done that in a while and was fairly pleased with myself getting 75k done. Incorporating our weekly Zwift spin into the session helped the time fly by. The hardest part of the whole session was the last 10 minutes at the end on my own, trying to round up the numbers. At that point, it was brain power rather than leg power that was required to get the job done. I'm not sure about you, but I always find the days between Christmas and the new year go by in a blur. I barely know what day of the week it is and I always have great intentions to get stuff done on those days between Christmas and the new year. But inevitably, the stuff gets left undone and more time is spent staying up late, sleeping in and enjoying some lazier days. And that is okay too. We spend so much time throughout the year writing lists and having to get things done that it's great to just let the stuff wait for another day or two. With the new year fast approaching, I'm sure lots of us will be making plans and lists for some big goals and aspirations for the coming year. It's always a time for reflection, pondering, goal setting and ultimately resolving to do better in whatever we feel we may need to improve upon. Regardless of what your resolutions and goals are for the coming year, the key to achieving those goals is consistency and breaking the big goals into smaller achievable pieces of a puzzle that at the end will all come together over time. Life will inevitably throw curveballs at us. Even the best laid plans always require some last minute tweaking. If you hit a bump in the road with your resolutions or your 2022 big plans get derailed, don't be too hard on yourself. Reassess the situation, look at how the goalposts might have shifted, adapt to the changes and remember you don't need a new year to get back on track or set a new goal. Every day provides the opportunity to set a new resolution or intention, however big or small. Before I introduce this week's guest, a quick thank you to you. Yes, to you and to everyone who has tuned into the podcast over the past 12 months. It has been a huge privilege to chat with all of the guests who come on the show. And I'm very grateful to you, the listeners who continue to support the podcast and try Talking Sport generally. Whether you are a regular listener or new to the show, thank you for your support. I can't wait to see what 2022 brings for the podcast. There are some incredible guests already lined up. Huge thanks to my producer, Alan, who has been a big part of the success of the show. Always behind the scenes, but playing a blinder with each episode. Well done to everyone who completed the December Fitness Challenge. We'll be announcing the winners of some super prizes in the coming days. And speaking of prizes, the Christmas Cracker giveaway continues on the Try Talking Sport Facebook page. So be sure to check it out. There are plenty of prizes left to be won before the year ends. Now to this week's guest, I had the pleasure of chatting with Pat Cook-Rogers, a soft-spoken, humble endurance athlete who continues to push her boundaries in sport, chasing goals and overcoming challenges that many of us would shy away from. Taking up triathlon in her early 40s, the mum of four has been participating in triathlon and adventure sport for over 20 years. Embracing triathlon, she has completed over 11 full-distance triathlons and at least 20 middle-distance races, raced at both the Ironman 70.3 World Championships and the Ironman World Championships in Kona and has, in more recent times, ventured into the world of extreme sport, completing the Yukon Arctic races on foot and by bike on multiple occasions. In 2015, she was the first woman from Europe to complete the 430-mile Yukon Arctic race by bike. She has completed adventure races, 24-hour races, obstacle races, relays of many different kinds, 10Ks and half marathons since first dipping her toes into the world of endurance sport. She has also won her age group in the 100 meter freestyle at the GB Winter Swimming Championships in 2017 and 2018, one of her own personal sporting highlights. With plans to race at the Yukon Arctic again and complete an ice mile, she has some big goals on the horizon for 2022. But it's not just participating in sport that Pat has embraced. With a very strong faith, she has coupled her love of God with her love of sport and has for many years been the woman behind the Iron Prayer at Ironman UK. And now she supports numerous events as the event chaplain at home and abroad, something that brings her great joy and connection with fellow athletes. This was a lovely chat with Pat, her fun and unassuming nature shining through as we talk about some of her adventures in sport. Underneath it all, though, she is a tough cookie with an incredible amount of steely strength and determination. With her own personal battles, she continues to find ways to adapt and endure so she can embrace her love of sport and adventure. At 65 years of age, Pat Cook-Rogers is not slowing down. She's only getting started. As this is the final show of 2021, Happy New Year. I hope 2022 is a great one for us all. See you on the other side. Now go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. It's a great one. Pat Cook-Rogers, welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast. Finally, I mean, we had a conversation in Staffordshire in July of this year as we basked in the sunshine beside the registration marquee about the podcast. And it has taken us till December to get this sorted. You're very welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: It's slightly different weather today now, but it's not as cold as one would expect in the lead up to Christmas.
1: No, it's not. It was quite nicely cold two days ago here, um, but now it's a bit sort of yucky and rainy and a bit too warm for me.
0: Yeah, I noticed today we got a text saying that the water temperature in Black Rock was around nine degrees, which is Um, quite warm.
1: It's very warm. Uh, My local lake is uh, six miles away from me and the temperature there a couple of days ago was 3.8 degrees.
0: Oh, that is cold. <laughs> so
1: lovely. you're no
0: you're no stranger to the cold, and we will get to talking with you about the cold. But Pat, for many of my listeners, they won't have a clue who you are at all. Um, <laughs> if they've done an Ironman and maybe they haven't made a cut off, then they might know who you are. Or if they follow some of the cold racing adventures in the Yukon Arctic, they might know who you are. So Pat, tell the listeners who you are and um, what's your involvement in endurance sport.
1: Oh, gosh, that's a horrible question, that one is. Um, Well, I'm a practicing Christian, so I would say, first of all, I'm a child of God. So that's the most important thing in my life. Other than that, I'm a a 65-year-old mother of four. Um, I have a husband. I have two eight-month-old puppies that are eating everything in sight, and uh, two cats, one of which entirely rules the world. I work in IT, uh, as I have done for many years now. And um, one of the great joys of my life is that
0: I'm uh, an event chaplain. So how did you get involved in endurance sport?
1: <laughs> oh, gosh, that was a long time ago. That was about 20 years ago. My eldest son is quite severely disabled and some friends were doing a sprint triathlon in um, aid of his school to raise money. So I, uh, I went down to meet them. I didn't quite go there for the start. because That was a bit early. But as I drove down the bike course, because it wasn't closed road, um, passing all these people on their bikes, thinking, oh, gosh, they're racing for my son's school. And God just said, you could do this. And I thought that was an entirely stupid thing, so I ignored it. And then after the race, one of my friends dragged me across to a stall selling triathlon kit, saying, oh, this is what you're going to need for your race. And um, what he was really saying was, i just had baby number four um too old too unfit never going to be able to do this you know too fat all the rest of it and we left it at that but it niggled me so that race was in September and so by the following spring I'd got a bit irritated by this so I decided that I would do my first sprint triathlon my sister and I did one together in aid of uh, charity and I nearly didn't make it up the hills on the bike I swam side stroke because that was the only stroke I knew. And I was so slow on the run that I had a long conversation with a lady walking her dog. <laughs> but from there, it sort of carried on. I, I went and learned how to swim crawl and
0: just sort of kept going. So, when, what year was that, Pat? 2001. And here we are, 20 years later. Mm-hmm. You have done a grand total of 11 full distance Ironman triathlon races and 20 half Ironman races.
1: Yeah. Maybe a bit more. I've I've, I've lost count. Lost count.
0: You've lost count when you get to that level. So the guy that was showing you the gear basically inferred that you were too old, too fat and too unfit to be able to do a triathlon. Yeah.
1: That was actually absolutely correct. I wouldn't even have run for a bus at that point.
0: It was just him
1: almost laughing at me that made me think, hmm. Okay, let's give this a go.
0: And would you have had any sport in your background as a kid? Like, did you play any basketball or hockey or? I swam side stroke,
1: and I was brought up on the coast. I come from Norfolk. So I've been in and out of the sea a lot, but that's messing around. Um, I did play hockey for my university for a while, but that was actually because when we went to away games, we travelled on the same coach as the rugby team. And I quite fancied some of the rugby team. Priorities absolutely <laughs> but no but that's it I've done nothing else at all
0: how did you go from doing the sprint triathlon to moving to longer distance stuff like this is the bit that intrigues me like how did you make the jump, or what was the journey to your first full distance race
1: well I think I did a couple of sprint triathlons first of all and then um as I started to think about it, I, I kind of thought, well, actually, I'd like there was a local um standard Olympic distance, whatever you like to call it race, um, that was open water. And I thought I quite fancied that. And then I found myself a coach. That all felt a bit of a grand thing to do, but encouraged by my husband, I found somebody who, who would who would give me a plan and show me what to do. And with his encouragement, it became apparent that actually. Actually, I'm really slow, so a sprint is no use at all to me because it takes me, well, oh, I don't know, 10 miles to remember how I can ride a bike. Uh, you know, I, I, it takes me three miles to warm up running. So a sprint is really pretty useless from my point of view. And the longer distances, I seem to be better at. And it just kind of, kind of grew. Um, and I did the first Wimble Ball to raise money for charity. Oh, gosh, and when I'd entered, it had actually been, I think it was, was it Longleat was the previous one? And I thought it was going to be that again, it, something like that. And it wasn't. And suddenly we had Wimbleball with all those mega hills. And I thought, oh, gosh.
0: There's going to be people listening today that are like Ironman 70.3 Sorry, yes. Wimbleball. Yeah. What are you talking yeah. about, Pat? Um, so just to explain to people, the Ironman 70.3 Wimbleball, and you'll know more about this than I will, was one of the original Ironman 70.3 distance events, but it was held, was it Exmoor? It was, it was Exmoor. It, yes. Yeah,
1: it was on Exmoor and the bike course was a complete nightmare. It was something like 52 hills in 56 miles and they were big hills. Um, I didn't ever think I'd get to the end of
0: that. It was a swim in the lake, wasn't it? It was like a dam. Was it a dam? Reservoir. Yes. It was a reservoir. So you swam in the reservoir, you biked the 56 miles, and then the run was kind of off-road all around that Exmoor. I'm going to call it an estate, but it wasn't an estate. But I'll never forget the days trying to get into the place on race day. Once you got in, you couldn't get out. Like it was one way in, one way out. It was mad no phone coverage nothing it was one of the toughest races for the athletes but it was fun
1: oh it was it was great fun it really was yes yes it was great fun I have very fond memories of Wimble Ball.
0: was that your very first
1: 70.3 that was my first 70.3 and the second time I did that I qualified for the 70.3 world championships in Florida that makes me sound good which I'm not Actually, at my age at the time, there were very few in the uh, <laughs> the age groups. I think I came second and last, as it were. <laughs> so, um, so actually going to Florida to um, Clearwater for the race was another major experience for me. That was another major one. In what sense? <laughs> because I was just so out of my depth. You know, there's this sort of mum of four who's done about three longer distance races suddenly with all these real athletes who were just so so brilliantly good and so slim and look so wonderful in lycra and i'm thinking gosh i'm not even sure i know how to get on my bike properly
0: (laughs) did you feel like a bit of an imposter very much so yes 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 you you had qualified fair and square the same as everybody else well yes yeah do you think was that to do with your own lack of self-confidence and your own belief in yourself or was it just the nature of the sport is that there will be people that will be skinny, muscular, athletic, you know, and the rest of us just have to deal with how we look and how we feel?
1: I think it's a bit of both. Um, Lack of self-confidence definitely. Uh, I really didn't think I should be there Um, but it was such good fun as well. It's just so
0: completely mad. <laughs> in a sense, you, you go in maybe with a certain level of expectation. Maybe you hadn't done as much as other people had. Mm. And you, you know, your your qualification in, in Exmoor, you'd have probably done one of the hardest races to qualify for yes. the 70.3 Worlds. Like you can't take yeah. that away from you. You know, it wasn't a, a soft race or a soft qualification. And, and you're racing against people in your same age group. So to think about it that way, mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than thinking about, hey, look at all these younger athletes that maybe are fast, and don't have to think about the first 10 miles on their bike before they get warmed up.
1: Yeah, it's um it wasn't it was an eye-opening race that it certainly made me think that I wanted to go longer. Um, but actually, while I was out there racing, I'd already found um the Yukon Arctic Ultra and the cold. And I can remember out on that run, which was hot, I could actually even see which bit of pavement I was on, thinking to myself, no, you are not going to stop and walk. Because if you stop and walk, you won't be allowed to go and race in the cold. My mental games. You know, Is this the you argument you going. had with yourself? <laughs> yes,
0: yes. <laughs> we need to talk about the, the cold, but I want to focus a little bit just on yeah. the longer distance stuff before we move to some of the cold stuff. Because you, you did say that you've raced in plus 40 and minus 40. So you, you raced the 70.3 World in Florida. Um, had you raced a full distance Ironman at this point?
1: No, I hadn't. Oh, had I? Oh, gosh, it all blurs a bit. I'm not sure. I, I qualified for Kona from the last of the um, Sherbourne. I'm in UK. The last time it was in Sherbourne, um, I qualified from there. Uh, again, I came second. I can so remember being delighted to cross that finish line. Oh, gosh, it was wonderful. And the lady in front of me, uh, as we were going up to collect our, uh, our, our medals or trophies or whatever it was, said to me, And I knew her, actually. And she said, you know, I can't go. Are you going to go? I thought, oh, no idea. And and really embarrassingly, when I think it was Paul um, asked me, um, was I going to go to Kona when she just said no? I had to say, I'm going to have to ask my husband. (laughs) And my husband says every pair of eyes in the tent turned around and looked at him. And there was no chance he could say no.
0: (laughs) Why did you have to turn around and ask your husband? Were you going to leave him at home with the kids? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Proper order. And had you aspirations of racing in Kona? Like, was that on your to-do list or were you just happy to finish the race? I was just very happy to finish the race. I had
1: no idea about Kona. Did you even know what it was at the time? I don't think I did, really. Yeah. It's just... I was just going along sort of for the ride almost.
0: <laughs> your kids are between the ages of, say, 23 and 30 now. Yeah. So they were quite young when you were doing all this yeah. training. So how did you manage to do your training and your working as well? Your head of IT. Yes, we do um,
1: software for airlines. Um, yeah, that's a job I've had for a long time. It's been difficult. Um, you have to have a priority in life. And mine are fairly clear. Um, God is first. Second is my family. Third is probably, I don't know, work maybe, church maybe, whatever. But those two be somewhere in there. But God, family, a few other bits and pieces, and then training. So if anything had to be dropped, it was going to be training. So I am always undertrained. Um, but I have learned. I mean, you know, you, you'll hear me say that I don't get to the start of a race without God. And I certainly don't get anywhere near the end without him. And I've learned when I've tried to do it on my own that it doesn't work. So I'll not train if I think there's something more important to do and then hope and pray that God gets me to the start
0: line and then gets me round. That's a very (laughs) strong faith to have, Pat, that he will get you under-trained to the finish line.
1: Yeah, well, he doesn't always get me to the finish line. And I never know when I start, generally, whether he's going to or not. So it's my races are a real journey with God and uh, I generally fall out with him somewhere along the way
0: <laughs> and
1: I'll with him. um that might sound a bit shocking really but uh, that's what happens and uh hopefully he is faithful
0: I'm going to switch um, focus a little bit now to talk about your role with Ironman as a chaplain Mm while we're talking about God and talking about faith and then we'll chat about some of your ice stuff. I know so much about Ironman and I know our listeners know lots about triathlon and we did have Gavin Hennigan on who's done the Yukon Arctic as well. So they have heard of it before, but I I am intrigued by the cold and how you uh, manage with the self-supported stuff there. But I want to come back and talk a little bit about your role as an Ironman chaplain because it's not something that you would normally see at a race generally so how did you get involved with Ironman as a chaplain?
1: Well that started in the first Kona race back in 2008 um, when I was feeling even more uh, like a fish out of water there had no idea really what was going on I mean Kona is such an intense experience I was just so out of my depth Um, and actually Walking along um, along there, there's um got the name of the church now, but they do Iron Prayer. And I saw the signs for Iron Prayer and I thought, gosh, prayer is definitely what I need. So I went along to the service, actually ended up praying for the lady who won my age group. <laughs> um, and um and that was it really. And I had an absolutely lousy race. I did finish 11th from the end, but I tore my Achilles tendon on the way and then finished on it, which is a whole other saga. And, but after that. God said to me, take Iron Prayer back to the UK. And I was, to be honest, I was terrified. That was more scary than doing the races, was the thought of actually approaching the directors of the Iron Man organization in the UK at the time and saying, Look, can I, can I come along and do this thing? Um, but they said yes and have been very supportive ever since. And that doing Iron Prayer, at in fact it was Bolton was the first one we did. Uh, that moved into doing it at every Iron Man race in the UK. Uh, and that moved into the chaplaincy whole role because I found people were, who were coming to the services, were then contacting me afterwards, and a uh, sort of relationships were building. And I was, I just found there were more ways in which I was able to help, and the whole chaplaincy thing
0: grew out of that. I think I always describe it as just that warm hug. Virtu- it was a virtual hug through <laughs> yes, words before yes. we ever needed to talk about virtual hugs because yes. of COVID. Yes. But that's what it was. If you just needed a bit of solace and a bit of time uh, with some comforting words before yes. the race, um, it was the the thing to go to.
1: Yeah, the Iron Prayer and the Chaplaincy are in a way separate. Um, I come at this from a Christian background and what I'm trying to do is to, basically just to bring the love of God to anybody who happens to need any of it. Apart from sometimes I'm prayer, I can go through an entire race weekend without actually mentioning Jesus. Because actually chaplaincy is for everyone. And it doesn't matter whether you have any faith or none, or different faiths, it's it's irrelevant. The chaplains are there for everyone. We listen, we don't judge, we don't analyse you. Um, We just try and stand alongside you and help. So if that's a hug, and, and I love the hugs bit. I mean, I'm sorry we can't do it now virtually. But sometimes just just smiling at someone, sometimes just somebody saying, hi, are you okay? Anything we can do? I have learned over the years it makes such a difference. And and it's a
0: such a pleasure to be able to do that. And on, on race day, it's the very caring <sighs> side of the day because everybody is up high is the word that I would use you know there's emotions are flying the athletes the spectators the volunteers the team the staff you know the adrenaline is flying the emotions are flying but for those athletes that don't make the cutoffs either in the swim or the bike or the run yeah. this year it's been yourself and Joe yeah. and Gary sometimes yeah. that have been there to just give that bit of solace to the athletes that just aren't going to make it
1: yeah yeah it, it actually all starts before transition opens on race day morning, and uh, we'll be there before it opens. We'll be there to welcome people in. Uh, we'll actually also be there to cover any pressure points that might be in the race. You know, if, if there's a gap, we can. By now, we've done pretty much every job. I know I've done every job going, marshalling. Haven't done any announcing, and I'll leave that one to you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I've done, I've done pretty much everything else, so we can gap fill if there's a need for the race crew. But it's the athletes on race day who are, are the, the people who really do need support. Some people will be looking for, you know, a, a word, a prayer, whatever, in the morning. First thing, um, we usually walk down to the, the swim start at the back of all the athletes. Some of them say to stop them running away, but <laughs> <laughs> and then we are there at any of the pressure points so that we work closely with the medical team and the referees. And if there are people who, for whatever reason, aren't able to finish, then, yeah, we try and see if there's anything they need, look after them. I mean, I, I've DNF'd three times in a full-distance race. Um, swim, bike, and run, actually. <laughs> and a head referee, Paul Lester, has um, said to me, if I remember his exact words, they were, uh, and you too, <laughs> when there were a group of us who DNF'd. Uh, so I've been there. I understand what it feels like. And whatever we can do to help, that's what we want to do.
0: Talk to me about the Yukon Arctic.
1: 430 uh, miles? Yes, that's the long race. There are races down to 100 miles as well. So it's, there are various distances. And I've actually been out there seven times. I've finished 100 miles twice. Um, and I've finished the 430 twice. On foot... I finished 100 miles on the bike. I finished 100 miles. And then I've done twice on the bike at 4.30. I have DNF'd uh, three times. In that race, only 50% of people get through anyway. And um, I got pulled out medically once. Um, Couldn't keep warm the second time and the third time. Oh, no, pulled out medically twice. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> how do you prepare for the likes of the Yukon Arctic self-supported walking yeah. slash running slash cycling on the other events how do you even prepare for it
1: take a deep breath I think first of all and realize that the the, amount, the magnitude of what you've taken on it's really rather than a race I think you know I'm talking about the long distance now the sort of 430 it's really think of it as an expedition not a race um like I do all races, it's about getting from checkpoint to checkpoint. So you don't think about the big thing. It's like the Same as triathlon. Don't think about what you've got to do or what you've done. Just think about where you are now, managing yourself, getting to the next checkpoint. Most of it is about managing yourself, in truth. And in terms of training, as much riding as you can get in. Uh, a lot because I always do it on the on the um, bike now because my back is um, pretty much shot, so I can't. I can actually pull a sled I just can't bend down to get anything out of it which is a bit of a problem it's just a lot of walking a lot of riding and a lot of making sure that um the things you have to do out there to look after yourself so that you know the bivying out the preparing food all the rest of that kind of thing you are so efficient at so when it gets to below about minus three here I'll sleep outside <laughs> I'm shivering here thinking a minus three I can imagine but but it's it's the best way of getting used to your kit it's not cold enough but it's the best way of getting used to your kit and also when you get up in the morning um don't just get out of your sleeping bag you know light the stove first do all those kinds of things so that they come automatically so when you're absolutely exhausted you're still doing the right things
0: how long did it take you to do the journey on the bike The 430 miles? 430. It's um, it's about 10 days. And how long per day were you cycling? To be honest, I don't know because the day is
1: all kind of blur. Mm. Um, It depends on the trail because the trail can vary widely. And some of it's good riding. Some of it just simply isn't rideable at all. So if it's not, you really need it to be below about minus 25 because um, otherwise it's much harder to either push or ride the bike. So I quite often travel at night and then sleep during the day because it's cooler.
0: Um, And did you like what about sleep deprivation? Did you sleep properly or were you deprived of sleep? I do sleep
1: deprivation quite well. It's called having four children, one of whom is uh, disabled. I'm quite good at that. (laughs) But and and you have some wonderful times when you hallucinate. Um, It would seem that men quite often see naked women bearing cups of uh, mugs of uh, hot chocolate when they hallucinate, but I've never actually done that myself.
0: <laughs> Did you
1: hallucinate at all? And what, what what's your memory of hallucinating? One of my main memories of hallucinating was on, along a, a particular uh, trail, part of the trail, and I had completely translated it and thought I was um, riding along uh, a road in Norfolk. <laughs> so I wasn't at all where I was supposed to be. <laughs> you have to recognize you quite often see trees turn into wild animals and things like that. So You, you, you have to keep an eye on it really. But and so, so much we, of it is managing yourself.
0: Yeah. And speaking <laughs> of wild animals, I think Gavin used to tell me that he was hallucinating thinking that the trees were bears or wolves. Oh yes. Oh yes. But yes. were you afraid of there actually being bears and
1: wolves? Yeah. Well, the bears should be asleep. So that should be okay. Um, Wolves. Yes. I've, uh, I've had a, um, a closer interaction than I would have liked with wolves. I I had a <laughs> an interesting experience when I was climbing one of the, the mountains, about I think it's about two hundred and some odd miles into the race, uh, entirely on my own at night, a blizzard started and the, the wind was in my face and I got to the point where I really couldn't do anymore, I couldn't push the bike uphill anymore. I, it was just too much. So I knew I'd have to stop, but I'd also been watching the trail and it was between, through the trees and there were footprints of wolves and there were two of them and they were tracking me and they were going in front of me and behind me in and out of the woods. Um, But in the end, I thought, well, I'm just going to have to stop anyway because I can't go on. So uh, I did. I did not sleep next to the bike because the bike had the food on it. And I did sleep with the avalanche shovel in my sleeping bag. I don't know what I thought I was going to do with it to be honest, but <laughs> um but it was fine when I when I eventually woke up and the snow had stopped, there were no signs of wolf tracks around me, so I reckon God kept me safe.
0: And was it lonely doing a race like that? Because you're very much on your own, really, I imagine, are you?
1: Yes, I quite like being on my own, so it doesn't bother me at all. I've never been scared i think i've only looked behind me on the trail once and that was going through a derelict mining area and there were some buildings all covered in snow and, and you know, no roots to them but one of them i went past and all the doors and windows were open and i kind of thought are they having a party in there <laughs> it looked weird i did look behind me on the trail at that point but i don't normally
0: I think I would lose my life if I had to go do something unsupported like that in the middle of nowhere with the thoughts of sleeping outside in the freezing cold. Wolves, bears, even if they are asleep, I'd probably be talking to myself and shouting. So I'd probably wake them. So they'd probably find me and the food. I actually don't think I could do something like that. I think you could. No, definitely not. I think I'd be too afraid. I'd be afraid of my own shadow. No, oh, I think you're tougher than you think. Mm, I have no issue with the miles of the biking, I think, over the, f- the few days. Like that wouldn't scare me. But the thought of being out in the middle of nowhere on my own, relying on my own cop on <laughs> to get to the next <laughs> checkpoint and not get um, killed by a wolf or something like that. I, I, I genuinely do not think I would ever sign up to something like that. I think it's I think it's incredible, huge amount of respect for anybody that signs up to something like that, because the physical aspect, I think most of us, if we train can get over it, but it's that mental side of it. I I don't know, I need. I would actually probably need counseling. I'd have to have some sort of psychotherapy done before I would go to convince myself that I'd be able to do it. And I'm not joking now. I know this sounds like I'm laughing, but I genuinely don't think I could do it.
1: I think that's the bit I enjoy the most is the being on my own and being entirely responsible for
0: myself. Yeah. I don't mind that in general in, in like a, a triathlon or in a bike race or doing a run or doing whatever. But I just think mm, different country. like I, I I actually were really scared. That's mad, isn't it?
1: <laughs> I don't think it's mad at all. I When I did the first, first Kona and then my first um, it was only the 100 mile uh, Yukon they were within six months of each other and that's when I went from racing at plus 40 to minus 40 and I remember thinking at one point if I broke my leg in uh, Kona then the wonderful American health system would come to my rescue and within half an hour I'd probably be in hospital providing I got the credit card Um, but in, in in the Yukon um, if I broke my leg, it could be 24 hours before anybody got to me. Yeah, and, and that's it's just so entirely different. And I kind of quite like that idea that the decisions I make out there are almost life and death. Maybe I'm just weird, Joe.
0: I don't think you're weird, I, I think, but I think you make a very valid point. It's the, the decisions you make are the difference between life and death. I mean, mm. you look at um, rowing the Atlantic. Mm, don't think I'd be up for that mm. now either. Out in the middle of the ocean on my own. No way. I'd just be seasick. Well, maybe that. (laughs) (laughs) that There wouldn't be enough food on the boat for me to survive. (laughs) I want to ask you about the switch from the heat to the cold. And what is it about the cold that um, gives you so much joy or that keeps bringing you back?
1: I don't think my body functions very well in the heat. It only has to get to about 25 degrees on a in a a british summer day and um i'm boiling i think i I was brought up on the norfolk coast where we get wind and when it comes from siberia it gets pretty cold so i kind of like the wind and i just don't mind the cold i don't know what it is i i i have a this is going to sound really weird um outside i have a freezer big chest freezer um full of cold water that is kept at at the moment is at five degrees which I get into for a few minutes every now and again it's part of the acclimatization process
0: yes so yourself and Kath Pendleton (laughs) would do well together former podcast guest the murder mermaid I think I pronounced that correctly because you are planning to do an ice mile in fact you've attempted to do an ice mile or at least you've qualified to do an ice mile but you've never gotten to do it yeah, I, I've qualified
1: now three times, um, most recently a couple of weeks ago, um, but I've never managed to attempt one, usually because my kind of Arctic racing gets in the way. And then some years, the, the water temperature has just not gone low enough.
0: Remind me, what does the ice mile temperature need to be to um, warrant being the correct temperature? It needs
1: to be below five degrees and uh, the swim is done without a wetsuit. So it's just a swimming costume and a hat and a pair of goggles.
0: You can't wear any neoprene whatsoever. Nope. So there's no neoprene nope. hat. It's literally your silicone or your latex yep. swimming, yep. Cat, your goggles swimming and goggles. So the recent qualification uh, event that you did, what did you swim and how long did it take you to do it?
1: We swam a kilometre and it took me 23 minutes. I am not a very fast swimmer at all. And, and that's one of the problems, really. I, a lot of the, the ladies I swim with are really good. Uh, I I train with... Um, channel swimmers (laughs) they go around twice and i go around once here um but um it's a lovely swimming community as you will know from your activities there's just something about that community of people who
0: are mad enough to get in cold water during the winter i've been very Well, I don't know what word I'm going to use, but soft is the word I'm going to use. Maybe soft or busy or maybe I've been just doing a bit too much biking and neglected my open water swimming. But my sister is putting the foot down and Christmas Day is going to be our first swim of our new swimming streak for the winter. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it apprehensively. I don't know what it is. I remember last year, I loved it. It it was the sense of purpose every day. Mm-hmm. Every day you woke up, you, the first decision you made was, where are we swimming or what time are we swimming and who's going? Mm-hmm. But maybe life has kind of just gotten the way again. And the, the draw of the sea or the draw of the ocean hasn't been as strong. And I got into the water about two weeks ago uh, and I lasted for a minute. Now I'm getting in without any neoprene whatsoever. So last year I used to get in with a neoprene hat gloves and socks but now I've gotten in without anything and it's bloody cold bloody cold but she's put the foot down in fact if she could go in on Christmas Eve she would but I'm not sure whether we will or not but Christmas day we're going to be going in early and that's the start of the swimming again not sure how long it'll last this time but we'll keep going anyway and we'll get to New Year's Day and see what happens we'll get a week (laughs) As I was saying earlier, the water temperature has gone from, you know, a low seven degrees in Galway Bay. And I think it was nine degrees. We got a message today to say it was nine. So that's a big jump in the space of of seven or eight days. Um, And I think it's warmer than it was last year at this time.
1: Okay, yes. yes. It does vary so much, doesn't it? Mm. Well, enjoy it, Joe. That's the important thing is to go in and enjoy it.
0: Well, this is it. It's not meant to be a chore. It's meant to be good for you and enjoy it. And you're right. There is a fantastic community of swimmers, you know, and we're lucky that we have Ladies Beach and we have Black Rock here in Salt Hill. Mm. So there's a couple to choose from that are that are on the doorstep. You mentioned in a conversation we were having earlier that you have um osteoarthritis in your joints, severe osteoarthritis. Uh, yeah. How does that limit your adventures and activities? Um,
1: quite a lot, really. Uh, I have uh, um, osteoarthritis in almost every set of joints, I think, apart from possibly my ankles. Uh, worst are my hands and my knees, although the hips are doing a quite a good job of being painful at the moment. Um, it's um, for Ironman Wales last year and for a, a long-distance triathlon I did last year, uh, I had to have my road bike adapted. When I was preparing for it in the hope that it was going to happen, because I had entered, deferred from the previous year, um, I had to get permission to have handlebars adapted because um, I can not I can ride a bike, but I can't brake with normal brakes because I'm pulling against the joints that hurt. Um, so I have to have mountain bike handlebars. And I've moved all the gears and the brakes around to make most use of my hands and fingers, um, whether the knees hold out is another matter. I, I, I do I do a lot of strength training actually. Um, I strength train three times a week, and I think as you get older, that gets more important. And I do a lot of work to strengthen the the muscles and the um, all the bits around the knees to support the knees. Hands are a problem. They're a problem in the Arctic, a big problem in the Arctic, because of having to open things like um, thermos flasks and um, problems on the bike and that that kind of thing it's it's but it's a matter of managing it it's a matter of finding ways around it and just doing the best I can with how I am at the time at the moment I'm adapting
0: that's what I was going to say uh, there's a huge amount of adaptation required yeah. you mentioned Ironman Wales there it's on the yes. list for 2022
1: Yes. Ironman Wales is my nemesis. Um, I've DNF'd there twice. And and I've qualified for Kona there as well. Um, I do very well if there's nobody else in my age group. So would all the ladies of uh, 65 to 69 please like to do something else.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you have to remember, Pat, that when you do cross the finish line, you are crossing the finish line ahead of people who have DNF'd. Even if there's nobody else in your age category, I think that's kind of irrelevant because you've still finished the race. There are people that didn't make the swim cut off, didn't make the bike cut off, didn't make the run cut off. Maybe for whatever reason, weren't able to continue with their race. So you do an amazing thing when you cross the finish line of an Ironman, regardless of what age you are. If I get to that
1: finish line in 2022, um, I will be both laughing and
0: crying. And I will be laughing and crying and trying to find you to hug you <laughs> if we're allowed. If we're allowed. Um, would you go to Kona again? Oh, Joe. Um, yeah, I probably would. No permission required this time. No, <laughs> the children are big enough now. <laughs> would you bring them with you or would you leave them at home? Oh,
1: last time I took one of them, my youngest with me, and um, the other two who could have come were really upset. So if I got to Kona again, I think I would have to bring the entire family.
0: Oh, sorry. I was actually just inquiring about whether you'd bring your husband or you at home. Oh, I see. All right. Oh,
1: yes. He, yeah, he wouldn't let me go on my own, though.
0: <laughs> and what do your kids think of all the training you're doing and um, the adventures that you've had? You know what? Are they proud of you are they do they think you're a crazy woman do they love it that they've got such a cool mom um I I think I think I suspect
1: they're probably proud I think they're just used to it they're just you know mom's slightly mad okay so what
0: <laughs> are, are you proud of what you've done not really no no I don't think so it's
1: I I I do I'm not very confident um and I guess I think if I've done it, it can't be that difficult, can it?
0: I I think you need to change that mindset. (laughs) I don't feel like an athlete at all. But you don't need to feel like an athlete to look back at the achievements that you've had or the choices that you've made. Like, I honestly believe I would not be able to go to the Yukon Arctic. I think you could but this is about you it's not about me so I don't think I could do it and I think you're amazing yet you don't think you have achieved much. No I don't no. So uh, how many people in the world do you know that have done 11 full distance races, 20 at minimum half Ironman races, won the 100 metre freestyle in their age category twice in the British Championships, were the first well, I want to say European because it was before Brexit, a uh, female athletes to complete the Yukon Arctic 430 uh, mile race. And, and that's just like a snippet of what you've done. Pat, I think you deserve an awful lot more <laughs> pats on the back than you're giving yourself and an awful lot more credit for for what you've achieved. There's people listening to this podcast. as people who aren't going to listen to this podcast are sitting at home and have never done a 5K. Yeah, but they might
1: have done other things which are, um,
0: just as exciting, just as interesting. So what drives you to do these challenges then? Where does that passion for this sport come from? I think it's it's partly to see what I can do. Not
1: for me, not for anybody else and for God, because he's always there. But it, it's I think it's just challenge myself to what I can do. So, So with now the osteoarthritis, which I am having to accept is become part of my life. It's how, how can I manage that to get round it, to do the things that I'd like to do? It, it's, so I think it's just how can I do this? Is there a way? That's the, that, Almost that's the challenge. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. In terms of encouraging other female athletes to take up endurance sport, I'm going to say later in life, but that's probably not very respectful. But <laughs> I mean, I'm 43, so I'm going to look at like 50s, 60s people taking up the sport. What what advice would you give to somebody now that wants to start out that maybe wasn't very sporty in their teens, 20s, 30s, and even early 40s, and now want to do um, an endurance race?
1: Start slowly. Remember that when we're older, we need more recovery time and
0: allow yourself
1: that time. Don't compare yourself with anybody else and forget about what you look like. You're just, you know, you're you. And in our 50s and 60s, we are the shape we are and we aren't going to be any different. So just
0: go and do what you want to do. And aside from God, who has been the biggest inspiration or influence in your life?
1: Mm. Well, kind of lots of people, really. I think my disabled son, because I've seen his struggles and his um, attempts to adapt to the world he's found himself in. Um, My husband, who's been through quite a lot of stuff, and um, uh, he's um, ex-RAF, and he's taught... um, arctic survival he's taught jungle survival he's taught desert survival so he kind of
0: knows the stupid things I do and how dangerous it can be and he still lets me go. If I was to ask you one highlight of your sporting career to date what would it be?
1: I think crossing the finish line at the first 430 bike race I did in 2015. That's nobody expected me to do that.
0: <laughs> did you expect it yourself? No. <laughs> And my final question is, if you hadn't defied the gentleman, if we call him that, who said you were too old, too fat and too unfit to do a triathlon, do you think would you have been on this journey if you hadn't taken those first steps back those 21 years ago? No,
1: I don't think I would at all.
0: And did you ever go back to that gentleman and say, hey, dude, this is my sporting CV? Um yeah I went back a few years later i
1: actually did um did a triathlon in he, he actually had cancer the gentleman. um and i did a, a triathlon in aid of um his cancer charity and on my back i had. Roger made
0: me do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Pat, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. I cannot wait to see you on the finish line at Wales in 2022. It's going to be exceptional. I really do hope you get your I smile done in 2022 thank you joe bless you thanks for tuning in i hope you enjoyed this episode don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com as always i'd love to connect on social media you can find me on facebook twitter linkedin and instagram pop by and say hi let me know what you think of the show if you are new to try talking sport please do check out some of our previous episodes you will be both impressed and inspired by our guests finally be sure to sign up to our new e-zine featuring articles of interest some great discounts and the inside track on supporting your triathlon and endurance sport journey sign up over on the website it takes 30 seconds and i promise i won't bombard your inbox with emails just the good stuff until next time have a great one stay safe keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day